Fans for our Sports Network listeners, welcome to another episode of The Call Sheet, episode six, to be exact, for those of you keeping track at home. I'm your host, Kevin Smith. I'm a contributor here to the NFL platform at Fans First and also to the Steel Curtain Network, as well as the head football coach at Ocean City High School, beautiful little school in southern New Jersey. Quick note about high school football. We, we got notification today that the event, the kickoff event that we host at our stadium in Ocean City, Cary Stadium, the Battle at the Beach, which attracts teams from all over the East Coast and is played in late August that the signature game of that event featuring National Powerhouse IMG Academy against Philadelphia Powerhouse St. Joe's Prep will be carried on ESPN. That's that's pretty cool news. So any of you who are jonesing for some high school football and want to watch some in August will get to tune in and see a game from our home field here in Ocean City, Cary Stadium between IMG and St. Joe's Prep. Ocean City will be playing in that event too. Very, very cool event put together by some great football people. And so we'll talk about more of that later, later, later down the road in the show. But today, this is an NFL show. So let's talk about the big news in the NFL, right? The schedule release, which is another of the league's great non-football football events. We talked about that last week when we were recapping the draft. No pro sports league is as good as the NFL at remaining relevant and captivating the public's attention when they're not in season. The draft and its buildup owns the headlines, really, throughout April. And then the schedule release is now a primetime event that rivals the NBA and the NHL playoffs for attention in May. It's really brilliant marketing by a league that, if we're being honest about it, doesn't always strike the right tone with the public, especially when it comes to some of its off-the-field issues. If you think back to how the league has handled some of its more controversial issues, particularly social ones, like the concussion mess of a few years ago or their disjointed response to domestic abuse involving their players or the Colin Kaepernick issue and the botched messaging on that. Or even if you go back to years ago when they kind of turned a blind eye towards steroid use, the NFL has not always been great at taking social cues and crafting responses that show compassion or understanding. But boy, When it comes to marketing its product and holding the attention of the fans, this league is on point. And spacing out the calendar, that's one of the biggest reasons as to why they've been so effective. It keeps interest up through the dead months of the late winter and the early spring. And then by doing the draft and the schedule release just weeks apart, they're really maximizing their exposure by striking while the iron is hot. And by staging these events while basketball and hockey are in the midst of their playoff season, the NFL is signaling that it's unwilling to cede the stage to those leagues. The draft view uh, drew 11 million primetime viewers for its Thursday night round one. And the schedule release, it's not nearly as dramatic. And on ESPN, it was actually kicked to the deuce because of a Philadelphia-Boston NBA playoff game. But it has people buzzing now the day after, and people will be talking about this for weeks. So it's really a brilliant job of marketing by the league. The thing that I think is so interesting, too, is that the product in the NFL is compelling no matter the season. And to compare to NHL, they can't say the same. As a matter of fact, 
now that we're in the NBA and NHL playoffs, you're really in the only window when those sports are truly compelling. You're seeing the best in the world do what they do as hard as they can night in and night out. And where the meaning of the thing is evident, you can just see how much NBA players, how much it means to them to pursue a championship or for hockey players to hoist the Stanley Cup and take it for a lap on their skates around the rink. It means a lot. But with 82 regular season games in each of those sports, everything I said above is really only true for the playoffs. Neither of those leagues can sustain this type of intensity throughout the regular season. There's just too many games. Mid-season NBA in particular is almost impossible to watch as guys slog their way up and down the court, predominantly trying not to get injured. Enthusiasm can there be to go as hard as you can, knowing the playoffs are still 30-some games away. They can't do it. And they can't make the draft interesting either because the draft's a bunch of kids just out of high school or from overseas who few people in America have had time to get to know or to build enthusiasm about. They can't make the schedule release interesting either, given the sheer number of games. So the product is really only compelling in the NBA and the NHL for about eight weeks in the spring. While as in the NFL, year-round. It's a year-round sport that holds people's interest. So here we are with the NFL making headlines again with the schedule release, primetime TV, multiple networks involved, breakdown and analysis immediately following. It's really brilliant. And of course, it's brilliant because there's an appetite for it. Each week in the NFL with just 17 games means something. And the fact that the teams only play once a week make that game, especially for your favorite team, a must-see event. The NFL has learned a really important lesson and that that lesson is less is more when it comes to the games and then you feed the beast throughout the rest of the year. So if you listen to the call sheet last week, you may remember that the theme of the show was the most interesting picks in the draft, not necessarily the best or the worst, but the ones that made me stop and think or take notice for some reason. That's what I want to do here with the schedule release. There there are obvious games that most football fans want to see. The Eagles-Chiefs Super Bowl rematch, for example, or Bengals against Bills because those are two contenders or some of the great divisional rivalries. Those are fairly obvious. But for me, interesting is not necessarily a rivalry because of its its traditional or, or the two best teams playing one another. It's often about styles. Whose styles present the most compelling matchup? When I think about that, I think back to a boxing historian named Burt Sugar, who once said about his sport, styles make fights. And if you'll just indulge me for a minute or so, I wanted to talk about that in reference to the compelling trilogy of fights between Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali. So you had Joe Frazier, who was a southpaw, a bruiser, short and stocky, kind of built like a Tonka truck. I think if Frazier had been a football player, he'd be like a Jerome Bettis. His style was downhill all the way. He was not afraid to walk through a flurry of jabs if it meant he could get in close enough to pummel his opponent in the ribs. On the other side, you had Ali, who was tall, relatively lean, nimble, fluid, poetic, When Ali said float like a butterfly, he meant it. He would bounce around the ring in a a way that made him almost impossible to hit. And then he'd rifle off 
one, two, three, four shots in a in a flurry of punches and shuffle back out before his opponent had, had known knew what hit him. Ali was also powerful enough to drop you in one punch. I mean, if Frazier was Jerome Bettis, Ali was a bigger version of Walter Payton. Both men devastating in their own right, yet with style so contrasting that the two of them in the ring together made for some of the most memorable fights in boxing history. And I'm I'm cognizant of the fact that some of the younger listeners here may not remember Muhammad Ali or Joe Frazier. So if you don't, and I hope that this is the tr- that this is the case, think to Rocky. I hope that this is the case that you've seen Rocky because if you haven't seen Rocky either, then I just feel bad for you. If you don't know Frazier or Ali, well, Rocky won is really those two men in the ring in a fictional setting. Sylvester Stallone, who starred as Rocky, but also directed the film, was so enthralled with the Ali-Frazier fights that he sought to emulate them in his movie. He cast himself as Rocky Balboa, the underdog from Philadelphia, which was also the home of Joe Frazier, by the way. And who, like Frazier, he was a southpaw with an identical fighting style. And then in the Apollo Creed role, which is played wonderfully by Carl Weathers, Stallone conjured Ali. All you have to do is watch the fight scenes at the end of Rocky one with Creed moving gracefully about the ring and snapping jabs into Balboa's face and Rocky walking through them to batter Creed's ribs. And you will have seen the Ali Frazier fights. Styles make fights. Burt Sugar was right about that. So as we go to break here, what we're going to do on the other side is we're going to look at those games that present Really interesting styles. Some of it may be scheme. Some of it may be coaching and their approach to the game. Some of it may be a team on the way up versus a team on the way down or a team on the way up trying to leapfrog an existing power within their own division. And there's plenty to talk about as far as those things go. So after the break, we'll dive in. Come on back. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We are back here on the call sheet. Kevin Smith with you. We are talking about the NFL schedule release, and we're going to look at five or so of the most interesting games coming up on the schedule as we head towards the 2023 NFL season. I was texting with some friends last night about this. The schedule came out, and we have this group chat, and everybody's putting their two cents in. And my one friend who's a Washington Commanders fan had an interesting comment in the text, and his comment was, why are the commanders playing a top 10 most difficult schedule when they're not a top 10 team in the NFL right now? How come their schedule isn't on par 
with where they are right now as a, as a football team. And it was an interesting question. And it made me realize, well, some people probably don't know exactly how the schedule works or how it's put together. It is not a subjective process where there are NFL executives sitting around saying to themselves, all right, who should we, who should we pick for the commanders to play? It's actually a, a pretty formula, formula-based process. And so for those of you who don't know, here's the formula. The team that you root for, their schedule is not arbitrary. It's very specific. And it's determined by the following things. First of all, every team gets six games against their three divisional opponents. It's three home and three away. Every team will get four games against a team from another division within your conference. So if you're an AFC East team, you're going to play another division in that conference, all four of those teams, maybe the AFC South. Then you're going to get four games against uh, a team, a division from the opposing conference for the NFC, for example. So if you're at the AFC East, maybe your crossover is with the four teams from the NFC North. Uh, that's that's right there. That's 14 of your games. You've got 14 of the 17 games determined right there. And then your final three are all related to where you finished the previous season. So let's say you finished third in the AFC East. You're going to play the other two teams that finished in third in the AFC divisions, that's not your crossover. So your crossover is the AFC North. Now you're going to play the third place team from the AFC South and the AFC West. And your last game, that 17th game is going to be against a third place team from the NFC that you, that is not on your schedule already. So that's it. That's how the 17 games are determined. And granted the, the intricacies of the schedule and the things that maybe are subjective or that make fans cry foul oh that's not fair they have to do you know they have to play a monday night game and then fly all the way across the country to play at seattle the following sunday those are the things i I think that create some sense of angst about the schedule and they generally include international games primetime games uh, travel like we just said playing on holidays your your bye week when does that fall when do you have to play thursday night football those are the subjective elements, but for but but as far as the opponents are concerned, it's very formula based. So that said, let's get let's jump in uh, at some of the more intriguing games on this year's schedule, and we're going to start right out of the gate. Week one, game number one, the kickoff on Thursday night of opening weekend. That's always uh, at the home stadium of the team that won the Super Bowl. So it'll be in Kansas City this year. And the opponent the NFL has picked for the Chiefs is the Detroit Lions. And that is interesting. What a, what a great opportunity for the young Lions. Again, the theme here is interesting. And Detroit clearly fits the bill. The NFL is a copycat league. Everybody's playing follow the leader in the NFL. Everybody's trying to emulate the hot scheme, hire the trendy coach, implement the successful system. It all gets copied and regurgitated because coaches are often afraid to try something new. If you, if you think back to Jerry Glanville, the old Houston Oilers and Atlanta Falcons coach, he's got one of the great quotes uh, in coach speak where he was caught on a, on a, uh, a wired up segment telling a, an official, the NFL stands for not for long. And that's going to be you if you keep making calls like this. And it's a great quote, but not for long. And, and that, that notion that, that coaches are hired to get fired in the NFL causes many of them to be conservative because if they, if they, they think if you take a chance and it doesn't work out, you might not get another opportunity. So teams follow the recipes of what works and they rarely go outside the lines. But 
Dan Campbell, he's done anything but that in his tenure in Detroit. He's a throwback guy, and he's coaching a throwback style. And he's coming off a draft where the Lions pretty much tossed convention to the wind and went rogue with their selections. And they got killed for it. People in the national media hammered them for it. But now they get a showcase game. The NFL kickoff in Kansas City against the defending champs in prime time. And they get an opportunity to show those critics that, hey, you were wrong. And that There's a decent chance they're going to get rolled in that game. Let's be honest. They got to go into Kansas City as the Chiefs are hanging up their Super Bowl banner. That's a big ask. But there's also a pretty good chance that Dan Campbell will have that team ready to roll. That that sort of underdog aura will make this a great game. I would be willing to bet that Dan Campbell throws it all on the table. You might see fake punts, trick plays. You might see Detroit go for it on fourth and four from their own 37-yard line in the first quarter. I think he's just going to say, hey, man, we got this is a nothing-to-lose game for us. Let's put it all on the table. So for me, that's a must-see game. Speaking of must-see, in week one, I know there's a ton of attention on Aaron Rodgers in week one and and on the Jets and the intrigue there. But I, I got to be honest, I'm just I'm kind of over Aaron Rodgers. I'm just not that interested. Not not because he's not a great player. He is not because he won't make make the Jets better. He will. They're going to be a, a legit contender this year. And the Jets and the Giants both looking like they could have good football teams will be interesting because the New York teams command a lot of attention. But as far as how it goes with Rodgers, I'm just not compelled anymore to to be caught up in the Aaron Rodgers thing. Maybe maybe familiarity breeds contempt. Maybe you just want to see the new things, whatever they might be. But I don't I'll I'll watch Rodgers as the season progresses. I'm not going to obsess on how he does in New York. All right, let's pick another game. Week six, New England at Las Vegas. I like this one because it's got some coaching intrigue. I always love the mentor versus uh, pro, or I'm sorry, the protege versus mentor model. And, and you get that with, with uh, Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick. You also get an, and some added intrigue with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. Everybody remembers him in New England and Belichick seemed to really like him. Um, but this is really interesting for me because of last year's New England Las Vegas game, which ended in the most ridiculous manner possible when in a tie game, New England, for whatever reason, ran the Stanford band play, right? Ran the, hey, let's just lateral the ball around and see and see if something miraculous happens. That's generally what you do when you're trailing in a game and you need to score on the last play to win. Not in a tie game. When you have the opportunity to win the football game in overtime, you rarely take ridiculous chances like that. But New England ran the lateral and multilateral play, and it ended up with – uh, Las Vegas defensive lineman Chandler Jones picking off one of those laterals and then running over New England quarterback Mac Jones like he was a speed bump en route to the end zone uh, and the winning touchdown as time ran out. Ridiculous ending. <clears throat> the thing I think that makes this game so fantastic, though, is that the, the player who threw that ill-fated lateral that Jones picked off and took to the house, Jacoby Myers, has left New England this offseason to sign with the Raiders. That is all priceless stuff. Week eight. Here's another game. Houston at Carolina. Come on. We all gotta let we all gotta be jacked up for this one. The number one and number two picks in the draft at quarterback opposing one another. The QB one bowl. It's perfect that these teams match up. But 
it's got an interesting subplot that I want to talk about. There's a pretty good chance. There's a really good chance that one of these two guys doesn't make it as a quality NFL quarterback that one of these two guys, and even perhaps both of them bust. And the reason I say that is because history tells us that this is the trend. If we go back and look at the last 25 years, there are six examples, not including Young and Stroud. There are six examples of quarterbacks being picked number one and number two overall in the draft. Let's look at those examples. 1998, that is the very famous Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf draft, where there was legitimate debate before the draft as to whether or not Ryan Leaf was the best quarterback and should be taken over Peyton Manning. Inevitably, Manning was chosen. Leaf went to the San Diego Chargers with the number two pick and quickly busted out of the league. He was not mentally ready. Uh, he was arrogant. He had all sorts of issues and problems, which caused some grief for Ryan Leaf later in his life. He wound up in, in some rehab. He's talked candidly about this to his credit. Uh, so we're, we're glad he's doing well personally. But as a professional quarterback, Ryan Leaf was overmatched. And Peyton Manning went on to become, obviously, Peyton Manning. So there, it's totally understood there that both of those guys didn't make it. The same is true for the next year, 1999, when you have Tim Couch taking number one overall, Donovan McNabb number two. Couch goes to the Browns, flames out pretty quickly. McNabb goes to the Eagles, goes on to have a greatly successful career there, lead them to the Super Bowl. Again, one, one of these two guys shined, one did, one did not. 2012, similar story. Not quite as dramatic, but similar story. Get Andrew Luck going number one overall to the Colts, where he became an, uh, an all-pro quarterback and led the Colts to a tremendous turnaround from a 1-15 season to an 11-5 season as, as a rookie. Uh, and then going number two to the then Redskins was Robert Griffin III, who many people saw coming into the league as really like that first true NFL dual threat quarterback in the read option system. And the college game, which was being overtaken by RPOs and zone reads and those types of things, and they were producing a lot of quarterbacks who ran those schemes, was now sending one of those quarterbacks, maybe the best one, uh, to the NFL at the top of the draft. And there was great intrigue as to what would happen with RG3. And as we know, he just he wasn't built for it. He, he got hurt, and those injuries derailed his career, and it never amounted to what people thought it would. 2015, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. Neither one of those guys really set the NFL on fire. 2016, Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. Goff goes on to become a productive starter, takes the Rams to the Super Bowl, but he's still pretty a, a middle-of-the-road NFL quarterback. And Wentz started strong, but has quickly fizzled out, bounced around with several teams. And honestly, off the top of my head, I'm not even, I'm not even sure if he's in the league right now. And then lastly, 2021, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. Lawrence looks like he's going to be a franchise guy in Jacksonville. Meanwhile, the Jets, as we all know, have already moved on from Zach Wilson by bringing in Aaron Rodgers. So all of that to get us to the Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Houston at Carolina game. And history says, as we just looked at, that one of these guys aren't going to make it. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it'll be really interesting to watch that game in week eight. And will we have enough information about the two quarterbacks to, to see what path they're on and whether history will repeat itself. All right. 
Let's go to my favorite of all the games on the entire schedule that don't involve my favorite team, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let's go to week nine, Miami against Kansas City in Frankfurt, Germany. This is my favorite game because if any of you watched last year's game uh, in Germany, that crowd was amazing. This year it's in Munich. Uh, I'm sorry, this year it's in Frankfurt. Last year it was in Munich. That Munich crowd was everything you could have wanted. They were like a college crowd, raucous, singing, dancing, cheering at both appropriate and inappropriate times. I remember at one point there was a timeout and both teams were just standing in the huddle and the crowd was cheering wildly. Who knows? I don't know. German beer. Uh, enthusiasm over football uh, and a sport that feels kind of German. Um, Tom Brady in that game led the Bucks to a win over Seattle in a, in a close game, a good game. And he later called it one of the greatest experiences of his football life. And that is high praise for a guy who's won seven Super Bowls. And this year's game is a great matchup. Kansas City, Miami, two fast teams. Germans love soccer. That's a fast sport. So I'm sure that they'll be excited to see the speed on display in this one. And speaking of speed, it's also the Tyreek Hill ball where Tyreek Hill goes back to play his former team. So for the crowd, the venue, the speed, the hill angle, this game has intrigue written all over it. Unfortunately, I live on the East Coast. And it's probably going to come on here around 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock in the morning. So I'll have to DVR that one. All right, let's, let's go to my last game. And the game I, I also think is fascinating because it's a rematch game. And, you know, rematch games are compelling in their own right. But it's a rematch of the NFC Championship game from last year. San Francisco at Philly in Week 13. And there's been a lot of talk coming from the 49ers about how they just felt gypped the way things went last year, how they feel as though they didn't get a fair shot at the Eagles with Brock Purdy being knocked out of the game early on and then Josh Johnson getting knocked out. They ended up having to play Christian McCaffrey at quarterback and then Purdy came back in the game, obviously injured and could only hand the ball off. The Eagles teed off in route to a big win and went to the Super Bowl. Uh, and But you're hearing the 49ers talk a lot about, oh, we, we wish we had been able to play on an even field. We think we could have won that football game. And I don't blame them. I'd feel the same way if I were San Francisco. But it's clear that the Eagles feel a little disrespected by it all. That, that, uh, that their take on it is San Francisco is essentially saying they would have rolled us if Purdy had been a quarterback. And I think they're a little salty as a result. And then you throw in the fact that Javon Hargrave left Philly to sign with San Francisco in the offseason throw in the fact these are two big physical teams that want to bully people at the line of scrimmage. Plus it's an early December game when the weather should be getting chilly in the East and a slobber knocker to quote my, my college head coach. He used to love that phrase. It's going to be a slobber knocker. There's going to be snot dripping from people's face masks. Uh, enjoy that image. Uh, he used to love that phrase, but yeah, this is going to be a slobber knocker of a football game. And that's a game that, that you don't want to miss. So, these are just five of the 200-plus games on the regular season schedule. We could probably talk for hours about all the games. I'm sure everybody by now has looked at your favorite team's schedule and you've tried to figure out which games are going to be wins and which are going to be losses and where are the things about the schedule you like and you don't like. And, oh, that, that, that closing stretch is uh, a killer and I hope it can endure it and yada, yada. And that's all fantastic conversation. We're going to talk a little bit more about the schedule 
in upcoming weeks here on the call sheet. And we're also going to dive back into the X and O's of the game, the stuff that I really love to talk about and the stuff that I feel as though you as fans can, can we can all learn from the game together. We can point out things that we love about uh, the, the action between the lines that makes football the most compelling sport on the planet. So I hope you guys will take that deep dive with me when we, when we come back next week and again, start talking a little more X and O's. So thank you so much. It's been another excellent conversation. I appreciate everybody out there and we'll see you next week.